Welcome to Strange Bedfellows Podcast, where no question is too dark, no topic too taboo. Join us to explore sexuality, self-help, and politics with our expert guests and friends. We believe that sexual rights are human rights and that we can all create a brighter world through education and conversation. I am a parent, I am a certified holistic sex educator, I am a longtime sex worker and adult industry entertainer. My name is Elle Stanger and I'm a host of Strange Bedfellows Podcast. My name's John. You might know me as the audio engineer and editor of last season's podcast. I'm now returning as a co-host for season two. I'm a 22-year-old gay man who will share my perspective in the coming season. Join us while we explore and uncover the things that make us squirm, make us shiver, make us tingle in delight. Because sex and politics can make for some very strange bedfellows. Sienna Newcastle is the author of American Tantra, A Modern Guide to Sacred Sex, published in 2009. She is sitting across from me right now. We met at a ASECT gathering when she asked if she could share a table, and I'm so glad she did. Uh, she is the former owner of Laughing Bird Books in the Pacific Northwest and a founding member of MAGIC, Mystic Arts Gathering and Information Circle, which is a federally recognized pagan temple. She is a licensed sex therapist practicing in Oregon and Washington since 2012, and she currently teaches a series called Intro to Tantra. You can contact her at Sienna, that's S-I-E-N-N-A, at spiralrhythms.org. Hi, Sienna. Hi there. Hi. Hi, John. Hey. Hey. Good afternoon. Hey. Uh, so John's 22. I'm 33. I'm 23. Um, Oh my God, you're 23. <laughs> you're 23. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank Big you. boy. Thank you. Oh, that's right. Happy birthday. Um, Stana, how old are you about? Well, I am I will claim early 50s. Perfect. I don't uh, tell anybody exactly how old I am. I just, uh, um, it fits me better to not do that. Mm-hmm. I'm going to at some point stop telling people how old I am. Um, <laughs> Something I've noticed in my line of work, uh, if people want to, like, say, sugar baby, like, help you, they're less likely to want to help you as you get older. They're like, you should be able to do this shit by yourself. Yeah, that makes That's sense. That's kind of part of the problem. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that interesting? Part of the hustle. Um, so we're going to talk about spirituality, capitalism, sex work, earth healing. Um, what is the focus of your work, the focuses, Sienna? Um, well, I have several focuses, uh, but... You know, mostly it's Tantra, but the way I like to describe it is uh, the, the sexual liberation of all human beings. Mm-hmm. Um, and I find that to be um, one of the base problems in our society that um, people are not open or honest. I think the word honest is better with their own sexuality. And that leads to a lot of psychological problems, a lot of... Um, issues that come out in other ways like yeah. violence or self-harm mm. so mm. we've um, talked about self-harm on the show john and i have talked about being self-harmers former self-harmers for me it's been a long long time and i was never hospitalized or anything yeah but that's interesting you bring that up okay so you would say spirituality sexuality intermingle for you yeah well i saw that question um and i asked myself well how do others separate them 
You know, um, I don't think that you can be a complete human without understanding your own sexuality. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so if you continue to live your life without understanding your own sexuality, um, it comes out in subconscious ways, ways that are out of your control, where you're acting out of character. You're doing things behind people's backs. You're not, um, you're not true and honest with yourself. John, what is this bringing up for you? Um, well, I've thought of I'm thinking like, about that client you had that one time where he's like, I'm not gay. I'm married and I have kids, but I just do this sometimes. Yeah. It's like, are you being honest with your sex? And then he blocked you. Yeah. Right. He did. Yeah. Well, yeah. Anyway, that makes a lot of sense psychologically. Yeah. Yeah. Can't deal with the truth. The truth is hard sometimes. Yeah. But John. Uh, John. Yeah. He didn't want to admit that he even had like desires for guys mm-hmm. he just wanted it to be labeled as i'm straight and occasionally i fuck guys um and he he insisted several times about the label and i was just like hey whatever works for you but um might want to reevaluate mm-hmm. so let's back up to the spirituality part real quick john you're an atheist you define as yourself as an atheist still yes. i have before I find as I have gotten more into sexuality work, I have realized that my sexuality does relate to my sense of spirit and self. And I'm like trying not to cry right now as I feel it. But I've like had experiences where I've felt that awake, like awakenings happen. Um, yeah. So like, does what do you have anywhere? Does your sexuality, where does it start and end for you, John, in terms of like spirit? Do you have any relationship between the two? Have you ever thought about it before? This is something we've never talked about. Um, I don't know. For me, being an atheist doesn't particularly remove the option of having, you know, quasi-spiritual experiences. Um, but, you know, the closest I've probably gotten to is just during sex or um, mm-hmm. on, like, really good days where it's just been, like, really fantastic and then it accumulates in sex and it sort of just feels like the perfect package. Um, spiritually, mm-hmm. I don't really find myself, like super um what about ecosexuality and we'll get into this i think further in the episode but like so what about we've talked about people who you know their sense of life force ties into the earth mm-hmm. and like if the earth is suffering right now it like it hurts us all and it puts us all at risk um so like being able to i think connect to living things in that way um for me has become spiritual but it's nothing to do with like god that i was raised about oh my mm-hmm. gosh right well you have to recognize that the god that everybody has in their sights from the patriarchal religions which are of course um christianity judaism and uh islam they're all um religions that use shame and guilt and heavy-handed rules that were written by the patriarchs Mm-hmm. These are not rules that embrace everyone in the community. Mm-hmm. These are rules that leave out anyone who isn't to their liking yeah. of one way or the other. So because we were all raised in that culture, it's really hard to understand how pervasive it has become into our psyches. It's kind of like trying to tell a fish about water. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so we don't know we can't, even when we're atheists, even when we have um, looked at that patriarchal religion and went, no, that really doesn't make sense. Yeah. We're still subjected to society's shaming and society's labeling of our behaviors as either quote unquote good or bad. When you actually think about um, the rules of what makes good or bad happen, 
it all begins to break down. There truly is no good or bad. There's just what humans would prefer to have happen and what humans would really hate having happen. Mm-hmm. And it's all contextual too. Yep. Um, Absolutely. We had a tattoo artist on Alice Carrier and we talked about how tattoos could be a beautification or like ritual or it can be like dehumanizing, torture, marking, you know, tracking of people. Um, so let's go to you and kind of your origins, Sienna. So when we talked, you mentioned... And this is where I felt I really connected to you. I'm like, oh, I grew up in a small town. But you said you grew up or you lived on rural farm-like settings outside of a major city. And you witness a lot of, I'm just giving the Cliffs notes so you can go into it if you choose. But you witness a lot of city folks coming there to either transition or to spend some time healing away from their public city lives. Yeah, well, um, it was in the 70s. And it was, you know, the good old commune days. And (laughs) we had a bunch of adults, including my mother. And a bunch of kids, including my cousins, and um, a bunch of animals and dogs and that sort of fun stuff, and gardens. And um, hmm. folks that my mother knew before we moved out there, we lived, uh, we had began, began in Cincinnati and moved right outside of Cincinnati. Um, and the folks that she had made connections with in the city made bigger and bolder connections. Um, and so... We were not Christians. Um, My mother was a dedicated ceremonial magician. So um, that's a whole other topic (laughs) we'll cover some other time. Love it. But it led to my teenage years being in a place where um, there wasn't a whole lot of Christian thou shalt nots being Mm. shoved down my throat. Mm. And we saw people showing up, uh, friends of friends who needed a place to go while they transitioned from masculine to feminine personas, um, two that I can remember off the top of my head. But one of the notes I made to myself was to remind you that my memory sucks. <laughs> so there might have been more and I do not remember their names. That's okay. Um, but I do remember it being an open and loving environment where people we're free to be sexual beings. Mm. And then we would go to school at the small town and have to shut all that back up again. Oof. Yeah, it was really annoying. <laughs> so real. Um, John, you had a question about uh, Sienna's political alignment. I was sort of just wondering where she self-labeled or oh, sure. felt okay. like she, she aligned with um, when it came to... Yeah, so in terms of like voter stuff. How, oh, yeah. I identify as non-categorizable. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, let's see, uh, I supported Bernie in 2016. That's about as good as I can get. Okay. That's what we did. (laughs) Where, where my brain goes. So, um, and then I voted for Hillary. (laughs) I was one of the 3 million uncounted or whatever. Yeah. Um, so I don't want to feel like, um, I'm, I'm labeling myself. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, I ran a campaign against labels. (laughs) Well, we have limited options in our elections anyway. Right. So it's like I brought up a bumper sticker. I saw it said vote blue no matter who. And it's like, that's where we're at. It's sad. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's really sad. Yeah. Um, so to circle back. So I consider you an elder and I use that as a respected term. Oh, I, I really do. That. Well, I mean, you have a lifetime of knowledge. Yeah. Um, so can you can you speak to any changes you've seen maybe in 
the decades, the times you've been alive in terms of like freedom of expression or censorship or knowledge about sex and gender. Oh, goodness. Do you feel like um, things are changing? Do you feel like things are getting better? You know, both. Both yes and no. Um, I came of age before HIV was a thing. Hmm. Okay. In the Midwest, HIV was taking out people on the West Coast. It wasn't a thing was actually in our community at the time. Hmm. Um, at least that's what we had fooled ourselves into believing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, skipped. I missed that uh, bullet. Okay. Very, so, very. So you weren't really impacted by HIV deaths. No, but I should have been more aware of it. Yeah. Well, that's okay. Yeah. I mean, hindsight. Well, no, the thing is we weren't being educated about it. Yeah. Well, the so, Reagan administration wasn't worried about it. Right, I think exactly. They were pretty happy to let the fags and the blacks die. Right, and that's who they thought was being affected. Right. Um, but it turns out that not just people who identify as gay actually have risky behaviors, high risk transmission behaviors. Right. Like all these closeted men. Right. I mean, you can't just blame the men. I don't want to blame anybody, but it's like the men who are like, I'm not gay, I'm married. And then they have anonymous sex, anonymous, unprotected sex, and right. they return to their, you know, life cycles. And we were also the first generation to have cable TV, microwave ovens. Oh. Okay. We were the first generation where our parents went to work and we were left out, you know, to our own devices after school. What is that called? Latchkey kids? Uh, We were even before they had a name for it. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, we got into a shitload of trouble. (laughs) But, uh, you know, on the other hand, um, abortion was um, still mostly available everywhere what what years what time um i would say somewhere between 73 and 80 okay so um the the religious right hadn't marched through all of the midwest states and shut down all the abortion clinics yet right which is happening in the last few years now well um i remember my parents talking about the religious right taking over in 1975 okay Okay. Damn. They were worried about it coming. But this it was already established. New. The government is bit was more The government was more open minded. Jimmy Carter was in office. Huh. Hmm. Um and things were not twisted down. Um Ronald Reagan was the beginning of the the end. Really? It really was. If there's like a civil collapse that aliens can pinpoint when they look at our American human history, they'll be like, it was Reagan when really everything fell apart. It really was because he was the one that took the lid off of uh, truth in advertising. What do you mean? Um, There was a law that said advertisement had to be absolutely true. Whoa. Yeah. He took that one apart. He also uh, allowed for corporatizing uh, most of the media that you are suffering from today. Wow. So, yeah. Damn. We okay. Can, we can dig into that forever. Yeah. Um, so, John, you had another question that had to do with politics. Yeah. I guess it's a self-care question. Um, what would you recommend people can do if they're feeling like the brunt of politics today and like the rough toll that it takes? Um, what practices do I recommend? The first is to pick your battles. Pick your battles. Like find the, the the hill that you will die on and go die on it. I die on wow. so many. Okay. You cannot die on all the hills. <laughs> okay. That's a good one. I see uh to, to put a modern to put a modern spin on that, I see people who do a lot of activism and they share it online and I see when they start to get very large followings and lots of different competing interests, it r- drives them crazy. Mm-hmm. Um because they're like, wait, I can't advocate for you. Can't even possibly be informed. Yeah, 
right. on everything to be an ally. Even just for one right. cause. Okay, so pick your battles. Yeah. Well, like you and I are both working the same side of the of the battle, but your work is in this corner over here and my work is in this corner over here and we both have to succeed. Mm, I love that. Yeah. I love that. Um, what other self-care stuff? Do you ever take a break? Oh gosh, yes. I actually the schedule them in. Really? I do. I what do. does that look like for you? Um, well, it looks like my schedule allowing me a couple of four-day weekends every month. Hmm. Yeah. Um, I have to get out of town. Um, we call it looking for beauty woodness. So we have to get out in the beautiful woods and mm. absorb some of that, I love that. Um, and remember what we're fighting for, mm-hmm. which brings us back to ecosexuality and equal feminism, which is, um, you know, if you get out in the woods and you are sitting there and you are open and you, you let your vulnerability show because there's nobody there to attack you. You can just put all that shit down and that's how becomes a spiritual experience Mm. you mean like sharing like just whatever you're doing out in nature just whether it's like talking yourself yeah self-touch or yeah just feeling the breeze just feeling the breeze just putting down all of the armor Mm. I like that and um, so you know one of the things you had asked me earlier is about uh, spirituality and, and sexuality and you know John said that he um, is an atheist. Um, And, you know, you don't have to have a spiritual path to be able to know the difference between having all of your defenses up or being able to put those down and be vulnerable to the experience of the now. Yeah, Yeah, the experiences of the now is something me and John both struggle with, and that's part of the reason we do this show, is to find tools and to share them. Yeah to have lovely guests like you on Uh, so let's take a break we're going to come back and do some listener questions to talk about um, actual grounding tips and some religious shame and then some non-binary sex work if possible Rax is the first native app designed by and for sex workers with unique features like a social feed club reviews income tracking and event calendars use it to grow your business at the touch of a button For more information on Racks and more events, in-depth courses, and free content for adult entertainers, visit www.racks2riches.com, R-A-C-K-S-2-Riches.com. And just for Strange Bedfellows listeners, use discount code SBP at checkout for 10% off any educational products. Are you looking for a sex worker-friendly therapist who specializes in gender and sexuality in the Portland, Oregon, or Vancouver, Washington area? Sue Uvery is licensed in both states. Visit www.genderandsextherapy.com to learn more about Sue's offerings and her experience working with adults, youth, queer, and trans folks. Sue also accepts sliding scale rates for cash-only clients. Visit genderandsextherapy.com to meet Sue and to create a path to self-care and wellness. Are you looking for personalized, non-judgmental medical care in Portland metro area? Solace Health, 
the office of Dr. Eric Shalan provides full-spectrum primary care services including chronic disease and psychiatric medical management, acute injury and illness treatment, and men and women's sexual health in a unique model operating outside of the usual insurance system. Experience relaxed one-hour appointments with same-day availability, as well as direct physician access via text, email, or phone for a flat monthly fee of $67 to $100 regardless of insurance coverage. Visit solacehealthpdx.com. That's S-O-L-A-C-E healthpdx.com for more information or call to schedule a free, no obligation consultation to see if Solace Health is the right fit for your needs. 503-231-3371, solacehealthpdx.com. We are speaking with Sienna Newcastle. She is an author of American Tantra, A Modern Guide to Sacred Sex, uh, and she's also a licensed sex therapist. So let's do some listener questions. John, could you read the first one? I experience a lot of restlessness, anxiety, stress, mystery pain, and I have trouble keeping grounded. Do you have any breathing or movement tips I could try? Therapy is expensive. Yeah, that's a pretty generalized question. Um, (laughs) (laughs) The first thing that I'd have to say is what have you tried? Yes, therapy is expensive, um, but if there's restlessness, anxiety, stress, um, stress kicks up cortisol, stress creates pain in our body. Um, So if you're looking for uh, a breathing movement, one of the best ones to try is pranayama, and you just get on Google and you hit that word, P-R-A-N-A, and with a, um, a space or not a space, Y-A-M-A, pranayama, and that means the uh, energy of the air. Hmm. And there are several different breathing meditations that are called pranayama, Mm -hmm. and they all have a lot in common. So Mm. it really doesn't matter which one you pick. So find one you like. Find one you like. It's like yoga, right? There's Mm -hmm. a thousand yoga classes, but there's one that's going to fit you best. Mm -hmm. Um, Or several. Or several, (laughs) right. And I do suggest that you go find a yoga class if you are having physical pain because the mere stretching of those muscles reduces the cortisols which reduces the mystery pain Mm, i like that you break it down like that yeah yeah i go to yoga pretty regularly uh john you came with me one time we have a actually one of our sponsors is a yoga studio seeking space right Um, i saw that i like that about this place (laughs) they do the uh late night yoga we we, Yeah. yeah Yeah. yeah, they do it like three in the morning. That's I cool. was impressed. Yeah. yeah, good. Oh, you really did your research. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what? Those are great tips right there. Pranayama I wrote down for myself. My therapist keeps telling me I should really meditate. And I'm like, you're right. <laughs> you're so right. I just keep forgetting to. It's hard to. to. It. It's so hard. Um, well, a lot of people say, oh, meditation is hard. And that's because they're trying too hard. Mm. Fair. Meditation is easy. If you've ever sat in the middle of your brain and you looked at all the things your brain is trying to think about and you go, fuck this, fuck that, fuck this, fuck that. That's meditating. (laughs) That reminds me of a fuck this or fuck that meditation. It's like an app. Oh, I'm a big fan of organic movements, just like taking some time and privacy and like whether you have music on or not, but just moving any way your body tells you to. That is how all of my shit cracks. Yeah. Yeah. Really. When I'm trying to do like formal stretches, it'll feel good, but I feel kind of like a robot. Yeah. Right. So if you're someone who maybe has a lot of energy, like like me, and you often don't know what to do with it, then. 
yeah we'll jump up and down just burn some of it <laughs> exactly that's mm-hmm. i mean we evolved to be on the move yes and yes so yes let's do what we our muscles are built to do yeah and if you're having i mean and a lot of people who have disability or chronic pain stuff like despite your limitations you still need blood flow happening somewhere so it's yeah. even you know if you are the guy who's been, been on the tv shows where they're like I am 700 pounds and exercise was like clapping my hands for like two minutes to get my heart, you know, like that's movement. Yeah. No matter what your body is, you can figure out what you're doing and maybe do it more if that feels good. Yeah. And then the breathing part of pranayama, one of the things that all pranayama uh, meditations have in common is that they use the entirety of your lungs. Mm. You fill your lungs entirely when you breathe like that. And so it allows for more oxygen into your bloodstream which allows for more oxygen to your brain, which allows your brain to function in a better way. Mm-hmm. Most of us go around sipping air hmm. and never using our full lungs. Holy crap. Yeah. Just, all right. I'm going to move on to the next question. This is all great. Um, all right. So next question. I was raised strictly Mormon. Mormon women are shamed relentlessly. When I was growing up and entering puberty, I thought I was dying the day I started menstruating. I was so ashamed and embarrassed and in middle school and talking to my mom was certainly not an option as anything related to sex, female bodies, reproduction, education, etc. was absolutely forbidden in my household. I didn't have access to the internet at that time. I didn't have a way to purchase hygiene products as they were not allowed in my house. I remember breaking down to my school teacher. She was the one who explained to me what a period was and she and she purchased tampons for me with her own money. I have struggled for years to cast aside this deep shame that I grew up with. My question is, how do you recommend women move on from this kind of childhood? I want to enjoy sex, but to this day, it makes me feel shame and guilt. Mormons are taught that any premarital sex is a ghastly sin, and women must go before a council of old white men to tearfully confess their sexual misconduct and to beg for forgiveness while the men shame them. It's entirely archaic and traumatic. I know how foolish these things are, yet I struggle to move forward, and I know many Mormon women have similar experiences. Well, yeah, it's um, one of the things that I work on is, of course, like I said, sexual liberation. And this is um, a case that of this uh, questioner has not had that opportunity growing up in that Mormon household. So the first thing that you have to to accept is that as you mature, the things that you are taught go beyond your rational mind. And they get implanted and imprinted in your belief system. And so even though they may have grown out of the Mormon church in their rational mind, there's still a piece tucked into their subconscious that holds onto those fears. Mm -hmm. And without some really deep therapy, it's very difficult to get beyond those inner um, beliefs that were stamped in during childhood. Mm -hmm. Um, Um, So that's the first approach. But recognizing also that shame and this goes for all shame shame doesn't hang out all by itself in your psyche it always has a label that goes with it Hmm. so if you are ashamed of something it is because you have a label that goes with it Hmm. so let's say you um accidentally walk out of a store with something in your purse you feel shame when you recognize that now you are now a shoplifter you feel like a thief. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You label yourself that and then the shame comes on. Mm-hmm. If, however, you do something and you don't feel 
like it's labeled, like, um, you know, having open sexuality, being uh, talking about vaginas in public. If you don't have a label that goes on that, there is no shame. Mm -hmm. So to get past it, I would advise this person to examine their labels. Oof, this reminds me of a, uh, a workbook called Explicit Permission by a sex therapist, Yana Talon Hicks over on the East Coast. And she has this kind of like little, little, um, like a quiz chart you can follow. And one of the questions is, um, when I have this thought that, that brings up shame, ask myself, like, do I know this to be true? So <laughs> in the case of like with gay shame, relates back to in you know religion that it's unnatural but it's like actually if you have the information to learn that same sex play is very natural very common in the human and animal world then it's like oh it's easier to wipe that shame when you can disprove the label to be untrue absolutely and that's the work yeah and that's the work. work or you know women who have a lot of sex are dirty and it's like, you know, this is something that like speaks to a lot of, you know, women. Um, so it's like, no, actually, when you learn that people who are sexually proactive don't feel shame are more likely to not only get tested, but discuss barriers and histories with partners and boundaries. And actually, people who never get tested are most likely to transmit. Right. That removes that label because you know it to be untrue. Right. Exactly. So I guess part of the work is, so what you said is figure out what the labels are. And then if you can, which is what you're doing, if you're listening to the show, is seek out the tools to remove the label. Right. You know, and. Yeah. John, no. you're so lucky. Your, par your parents weren't religious. Well, your mom's like spiritual now, but. Yeah, so my mom yeah. was Protestant and my dad was raised Catholic, but I think he identifies as an atheist. Um, my mom is still semi-spiritual, goes to church, but doesn't believe in like the church. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, but I mean, yeah, she's she's just chill. Um, she's not like homophobic though. Mm -hmm. So that's good. At least you weren't, you didn't experience that kind of stress in your growing up. And my dad, for all his homophobia, was is also not a religious person. So it's never like unnatural. Right. It's just like unpractical and perverted. No, no. It's uh, in the water we breathe, you know, the mm -hmm. air we breathe and the water we drink. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and it's been that way since the 1200s. Hmm. Okay. What the, the period before the 1200s, they call that the dark ages because they don't want to tell us what it was really like. Oh, God. They don't want to tell us that we actually had more freedoms. Was this before the feudal system was implemented? Precisely. In, in Europe? Precisely. Oh, God. So um, I'm going to recommend a book for you Please. and everybody else that can, that can read it. It's really thick reading. It took me three years to get through, but it's so worth it. Um, uh, it's Caliban and the Witch Ooh. by Sylvia Frederici. Okay. And I will... Um, text you that exactly so if you have a place that you post that on your site yeah no that we can yeah. make that easily available and this one has been recommended to us before yeah so thank you because um, um, <laughs> that's where most of our labels have come from mm -hmm. it's the goddamn churches with the kings churches and kings, churches and, and kings. They, they need to control the workforce mm -hmm. oh, let's do our next question uh, all right I am a non-binary trans person interested in doing sex work, assigned female at birth. Um, 
I think I would like dancing or pro-doming, but the strip clubs where I live have dress codes that would force me to change my gender expression in ways that could be damaging to my mental health, and I'm not even sure how to start pro-doming. Instead, I've been using seeking arrangements, usually with straight men who think I'm a cisgender heterosexual woman despite my presentation being more masculine. For me, it seemed easier to find people ahead of time online to clarify my gender expression, even if it's under the guise of woman. A lot of people stop messaging me after seeing my picture, but the ones who don't must still find it hot that I'm mask presenting, even though they identify as straight. And then I don't have to worry about some surprise when we meet in person, but I've had a lot of trouble delineating the boundaries around being a sugar baby since a lot of sugar daddies don't want it to feel transactional. They don't want you to have an hourly rate and they want to have some emotional connection with their sugar baby. It makes me mm-hmm. wonder if I should be using seeking arrangements if I have to hide so much about myself and pretend I do care about these men, even though I'll never feel close to them since they think I'm a woman. Okay, so... At the end, it says, how do you navigate boundaries in sugar daddy culture, especially boundaries with time? How do you balance your needs while maintaining the illusion the sugar daddy is looking for? I think I'd probably prefer a different mode of sex work. Do you have any advice on getting into pro-doming, camming, or full-service sex work, especially as a trans person? So we have covered some of those little bits, that question at the very end about getting into it with some previous guests. It's really hard right now. But the thing I want to bring up here, and I have to clarify this, like sex work is work. And they say that because a lot of times you do not get to be honest about who you are and you are selling a fantasy. Right. And most all of the sex workers I know femme it up to go to work Mm -hmm. and it can cause stress to them. Mm -hmm. But that is that is something that they manage. And it's a choice that you have to make within yourself. If it's going to damage your mental health, it may not be the path for you. Mm hmm. And it is really yeah, hard. Yeah, it's got to be stressful to constantly be performative, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. I have a friend who is in this, not the same boat, but this person is assigned female at birth. So they have a vagina. They are very um, classic female presenting when they want to be. But in their personal life, like, no, it's it's much more masculine presenting. But that is just something they literally pop the nails on to go to shift and pop them off at the end of the night. Um, and there's a lot more to it also. And it's still like a struggle for them. Like, how do I feel like I can be my sexiest persona when I don't even maybe know who that person is before the persona? Right. It really hard for people. And people do re-traumatize themselves doing sex work. And even people who are not gender non-binary um, wake up some mornings and say, you know, I just don't feel sexy today. Mm-hmm. And they have to put it on. Mm-hmm. And that can feel um, that can feel re-traumatizing if it doesn't go well. And that can feel very empowering when you make it work. Like I, I've said before, I, I literally before I had to do a cam show, I was like, this has been the worst couple of days of my life. I would rather do anything else. I feel like I'm about to sexually assault myself in front of a bunch of people because I don't want to fuck myself on cam, but I'm booked for an hour and I have to do it. And then I just kind of was like, you know what? I'm going to put the mask on and let's perform the shit out of this. And I did. And I felt great afterwards. And my soul was singing for days. I felt like I leveled up. But if I if it didn't go well, thank you. And that's how I'm like, okay, I can thrive in this environment, but it's still hard. Yeah. (sighs) Um. If you are a trans person and you want to maintain that for your audience, you will have to look 
harder at like trans specific camming websites and platforms. I'm sure they're harder to find, especially because of FOSTA and SESTA. Um, if you can fem it up sometimes, do that. But you're not going to be able to find a sugar daddy who wants to know the real you and is going to pay you. You're just not because that sugar daddy is going to want to marry you if they fall in love with the real you. So you need to be working it all the time. Even my closest customers, like I don't tell them everything. They don't know all of my thoughts and feelings and identities. Absolutely not. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's work and it's you work. have to keep it in that perspective. Yeah, I definitely don't want, I'm not trying to like, sound aggravated with the question but I think because I it's something that it, it is such an integral part of sex work is work is like balancing identity for queer people um depending on how passing or non-passing they are and I have it easy too like I have the longest hair I've had in 16 years I'm like <laughs> I look so womanly right now I got big old fake boobs well uh, you know and <laughs> the other thing to remember is that if it was not work they would call it sex play and that is a totally different critter and mm. we would all be enjoying it right mm. and I've noticed now that you say that a lot of my sex worker friends when they do their play they like push into those mask edges a lot more right Ooh, that and that's good. what that's for yeah thanks for giving a tool to that yeah yeah I guess this is kind of hard because like when you were doing your camming but you were doing it mostly to appeal to men, right? Yeah. Um, like you were on there as a gay man. Yeah, because uh, most of the audience was just gay men. Um, it doesn't really link to you unless you go to the gay section. Okay, so it's not like you ever had to act straight. Have you ever? Well, <laughs> that's funny. Of course you've had to act straight. You have to act straight everywhere you go. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's, Unless you're in a safe it's space. The constant daily uh, performative fun thing to engage in, um, depending mm -hmm. on your environment. Uh, mostly it was heavier during uh, middle school and high school and then some college during which I got to finally retreat into kind of mm -hmm. having my own space and uh, didn't have to be as performative and, you know, like bro-y with people, um, which I never really was. Mm -hmm. Well, it's an androcentric culture anyway where we prize masculinity. Even in women, we prize masculinity more than we would prize femininity in males yeah oh absolutely and that's time. always been the imbalance mm -hmm. but i think that even categorizing things as masculine and feminine does them a disservice mm. Agreed. tell me about that um the more we have those two categories um the less fluid it is and so to say that oh if you have long eyelashes you're feminine is discounting all people born with penises and long eyelashes mm -hmm. um it makes them feel weird um it makes everybody else make it a thing for them mm -hmm. so to say something is masculine or feminine is an opinion and not really a fact mm -hmm. and totally contextual to our culture absolutely or whatever culture you're in yeah yeah there's a really cool book that just came out this year called she he they me by robin ryle okay john and i went through it it's like a choose your own adventure book do you remember those <laughs> oh yes I do. so it starts out it's like you are born are you born into a society with gender with one or more like it's cool oh cool yeah it goes through a bunch of it so and that was that's a great um history and sexuality book right which right. we've already you've brought up some history in this yeah. episode ah oh, so good all right let's take another break Hey friends, are you sick of razor burn? Have your nethers cleaned up by the pros at Netherlands Wax in Vancouver, Washington, where experienced owner estheticians have performed literally thousands of Brazilian waxes. 
Netherlands Wax is gender neutral, sex positive, trans and queer welcoming, kink positive, and body positive. We are just over the 205 Bridge in Vancouver, Washington. Worth the drive. Find us on Facebook, Yelp, or netherlandswax.com. Are you a man looking for insight into the male brain? Looking for a safe space to hear discussions about the problems men face every day? Are you struggling in daily life, but finding it hard to pinpoint the cause? Maybe your relationship is suffering. Maybe your job is sucking the life out of you. Or maybe you love sex, but aren't having any. Maybe you're just finding it hard to feel genuine connections. Well, head on over to the Brome Podcast, where hosts Ben and Joe discuss many of the issues we face in daily life, but have little guidance in. You'll learn from the bros, and from guests like Elle, on how to talk to women, or any fellow human being. How to be more understanding and compassionate towards others, how to listen to your partners in the sack, and much more. Brome Podcast. B-R-O-A-U-M. Again, that's B-R-O-A-U-M. Welcome back to Strange Bedfellows. We're here with Sienna Newcastle and Al Stanger, and we're talking about what it means to do self-care and what it means to talk about gender and these dichotomous situations humans have set up for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll get into that a little more. Can we do the ecofeminism before I forget it? Mm-hmm. Uh, Sienna and I were having coffee, and I just had this other, like, um, not awakening, but, like, click when things fit into place so you had mentioned that there's there's folks that believe that the earth is feminine and humans are masculine well the earth is you know technically is feminine it is the birth i mean everything that we know has come from the soil and the, the the water and the air and uh the sun coming down on it there's ancient beliefs that um, the earth is the mother goddess and that the um, all the radiation from the sun and other planets and stars is what inseminated the earth. Hmm. Um, so, the, I mean, if you go back far enough into a lot of the um, native beliefs around the world mm-hmm. where people are the indigenous beliefs, that's the word I want, mm-hmm. um, and many of them have uh, the earth as a feminine body interesting that's i mean that's worth a heck yeah because none of these cultures were in contact with each other no they weren't it's like a collective consciousness okay and and so the first time this is how my my younger mind i had this once and it kind of relates to this conversation i remember somebody was talking about um what is the term for rebirth you die you come back reincarnation reincarnation So if there's this imbalance where there's more people than ever, but we're destroying all of these creatures, then maybe everybody, all these creatures we're just destroying are being reincarnated into more people. So there's still a balance, but it's an imbalance. Right. And then when you have, you mentioned, you're like, well, you know, in pollution and the impacts we're putting on the earth. So it's like a constant balance. It's in some kind of swing between people and the earth. Absolutely. And now the universe, and now fucking, what is his name that wants to go to Mars? Elon Musk wants to go to Mars. We don't need right. to go to Mars. We already destroyed this planet. We don't need to do it to others. Right. Fix this one first. Um, well, you know, and I think it's kind of um, a little bit hubris on humans' parts to think that we should survive it. Yeah. You know? Like, why do we deserve this Yeah, deserving, game? again, takes a god to dis- discover, right? Hmm. <laughs> 
you can't deserve anything unless you are believing in a higher power that actually makes the decision about what you deserve. Oof. So, yeah, so. <laughs> we'll circle back to that towards the end. Um, speaking of higher powers, there's always people tend to want to look to spiritual leaders because as a collective, we need we need someone to lead us. Like people in general, we we don't know how to organize on our own. They're always in every culture. There tends to be someone who's leading or helping organize or oversee. But you also have prophets and then what we call false prophets and these can be con men or con people oh so, absolutely the patriarchy has left everybody sitting ducks <laughs> anybody who can step outside of it and use that muscle that follower muscle that was is built in society uh, beginning at the, you walk into a schoolroom, if somebody's standing at the head of the class you take a seat and mm -hmm. you look forward Mm -hmm. who taught us that mm. okay in indigenous cultures you walk into a room people are sitting in a circle oh my god there is no head of the class wow so it's a total shift in paradigm to get out of this patriarchal headspace from the start and i did read that um article that you posted uh, that you the, that you've mm -hmm. linked in here about uh the false prophets and mm -hmm. yeah let's um, talk about this guy yeah well what what the patriarchal religions was successfully did is to shoot down or hold down all of our internal intuitions so when we get an intuition of this person is full of shit or creepy or creepy we then have this muscle that comes along in our brain and talks us out of it. Like, oh, well, but they're very successful. Oh, but everybody else is following them. Oh, yes. Right. And oh, no. And and then we talk our intuition down mm. and we get in line with this crap. Mm. And if we just stop doing that, mm -hmm. false prophets wouldn't have any purchase. Yeah, there's people suffering who are desperate for anything. So this guy, what is this guy's name? His name yeah, I forgot his name, but oh my Nithyananda. gosh. Nithyananda. Okay, so he's a 41-year-old spiritualist. Um, he's been charged with some serious sexual offenses in recent yeah. years. Um, his followers are strong proponents of his ability to create miracles. Uh-huh. Um, he claims to be able to get animals to talk. And he says that he is safekeeping Bill Gates' wealth <laughs> until the tech billionaire is reborn in the future. Isn't that cute? So even though millions of Indians, this is in India, have called him out basically as like, you're full of shit. Uh, he heads an empire worth billions of rupees, which I don't know the conversion to American dollars, but a lot of money, mm -hmm. and has a huge following of devotees and fans. The one thing he does not have, humility. Humility. Yeah. And that's really common. I mean, look at Bolsonaro, look at Trump, look at these world world leaders who have no humility. I mean, Obama yeah. still had flaws, but he had he has yes. senses of humility. Right. Able to correct yourself or defer to others when you don't know the question or the answer. Right. Exactly. So this guy, he was born in 1978. He's changed his name, which, you know, a lot of us do. Mm -hmm. uh, he trained as a medical ex engineer. He chose a spiritual path, path reportedly under his grandfather's influence. He has been in a active public life setting 
since 2003 and has claimed to be a spiritual healer who can cure a range of diseases from depression to cancer. Ugh, and wish. now he is being charged with ooh, rape and some other things. Yep. Yep. Um, the uh, Bikram yoga yep. guy, there's a Netflix piece on that, which I watched. And again, I, no humility. No humility. Right. And that is such a red flag. Right. And then you look at somebody like Fred Rogers. Who is Fred Rogers? That's Mr. A... Rogers. Oh, right. You talk about a picture of humility. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And he, they're saying now that he was bi, not yeah. straight. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't matter, though. Yeah. Isn't that cute? No, I think that's darling. Yeah. yeah. The fact is that he made a lot of children feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. Not uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah. if you just, I mean, and kids, you have, you know... You have dogs and kids. Dogs and kids have um, intuition still mm -hmm. that unless you really train it out of them, they're pretty sharp on who to trust and who not to. Mm. I hope some of you are hearing this. If you're like, I brought a date over. My dog doesn't like him. You probably listen to your dog, right? Right. <laughs> or if you hesitate to introduce your date to your offspring. No. Mm. Mm. Yeah. It's like, why? Right. Yeah. Why are you sensing that? I want to throw this in there real quick for single parents. A lot of single parents are single mothers. And I have, after so many of my friends have been molested by their stepfathers, I have noticed a cognitive dissonance in some women who really don't want to do the research to check that the person they're dating might be safe for their children because they just want to partner that badly. Mm -hmm. I have seen this happen. And I think it is your responsibility as a single dating parent to look for the signs of abuse and weirdness, such as your kid just maybe being uncomfortable at the mention of the person. Right. Um, like when I started dating B, I was like, look, two things. Don't steal my money and don't molest my kid. Um, <laughs> and he's like, cool, I will do neither. That's horrifying. But like, no, right. some people don't have that conversation and they don't look for things because they no. just don't want to. Right. Because you want to believe that you could have a happy family unit. Right. You know. And um, it's not just um, stepfathers, okay? No, certainly There not. are um, people, roommates, um, in-laws. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Birth parents even. Right. Uncles. Um, what is the, oh my God, what's the evangelical pastor's name, John? You go in on him. Did he block you on Twitter? Oh yeah, Joel oh Olstein. Um, I the, got blocked by him once. Joel, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, he kept people out of his church. Did he block you on Twitter? I feel like yeah. he did. People, he kept people out of his church during a hurricane. And then um, I called him out on it over and over and he blocked me. I think, I think you need <laughs> to use that as a badge of honor. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> Was blocked by, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, so I mean, obviously, powerful spiritual leaders can be horrible abusers like anyone else. Like Absolutely. Like teachers, like parents, like anyone else. Right. The so. key is humility. Look for the humility and trust your instincts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That reminds me of this uh, documentary on the Catholic Church. I think it was called Spotlight. Um, I did see the trailer for that. Yeah. Mm. It basically just talks about like, you know, the priests. Mm. Yeah. Well, I did a thesis in college on priesthood pedophilia. Mm. Uh, yeah. I learned quite a bit. Mm, and it is not that the church turns them into pedophiles. It is that they have uncontrollable sexual urges and they feel like going into the priesthood is the way to control it. Wow. And it never works. Wow. That's like pray the gay way times a million. <laughs> Pretty much. Wow. Yeah. 
let's talk a little bit more about ecosexual. Um, of course, we have to mention Dr. Annie Sprinkle. Yeah, yeah. yeah. she's one of my heroes. Um, so yeah, the um, since the Industrial Revolution, since we stopped being farmers, we've kind of cut ourselves off from knowing the cycles of the land, knowing when it's time to plant, knowing when, when things are actually ripe. When was the last time you had a good ripe piece of fruit Ugh. that you didn't have to let sit on your counter for a week? I took a right? picture of apples in my neighbor's apple tree and uh, Oregon and Washington, specifically Washington grows a lot of apples anyway, but I posted it on Instagram and I had the thought like maybe no one's ever seen this before. And sure enough, a lady DM'd me or maybe she commented, but she's like, I've never seen apples on a tree right. until this photo. Right. And it wasn't even a person that she saw it. No. Fuck. Yeah. I mean, you grow up in places where it doesn't happen. You don't know these things. Mm -hmm. If you're an urban dweller, you never put your feet on soil. soil. You know, mm -hmm. I, I know a person from Manhattan who just was blown away about how many people walk barefoot here. Mm. <laughs> so um, we, we've, we've been cut off from the earth. Mm -hmm. We don't know what we're missing. We really don't. Yeah. And the humility piece comes full circle when you witness bodies, um, death, um, right. You know, like me out in the day with no clothes and no makeup, like you'll see zits and ingrowns and like hair in places. I don't, you know, like that's Only my if body. They're looking too close. <laughs> but like, you know, but we are so disconnected from the reality of like what our bodies look like, what death looks like, what death, you know, decomposition, what rebirth looks like. Yeah. Um, and it's important. It's part of knowing how to live on a planet. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so since we've been cut off from that, of course, we've been cut off with anything natural about sex. Mm -hmm. I mean... There's a, apparently a boom in vegan sex toys, lube, and condoms. Uh, let's see, ecosexuality. <laughs> Even though ridiculed with terms like grassalingus. Yeah. And I right, don't know anybody who actually uses that word. Yeah. Shocker. Me neither. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there's things like sustainable toys or just lower impact tools. Um, I wrote a piece once on when I was really like a major slut and I was having a lot of sex in my apartment and I had a couple regular partners, um, aside from like STI screenings, but just like the bed sheets, I was like, I don't want to be doing laundry all the time. So I would just have a set of bed sheets for this person. Uh huh. And then I'm like, I, you know what? They're not too dirty or jizzy. I'm let them dry and just like put them away. Oh, they're coming back over and putting them back on. I had two sets of sheets, honestly. Because I was like, I don't want to be doing that much laundry because it wastes water. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's how I think. Well, you know, you have to understand what uh, phylates and other uh, chemicals that are in plastic toys, uh, what they would do if they were like rubbing up against your body all day long. Mm. So then why the heck would you put them on your mucous membrane for 45 minutes? Mm -hmm. You know, um, yeah, there's a great movement in um, eco-friendly toys, um, vegan toys. Uh, gosh, and if here goes my memory again. There is an online shop of a friend of a friend. I think it's called It's My Pleasure. Oh. Then okay. they specialize in that. Um but she also does house parties and toy parties where, Ooh. you know, it's kind of like Tupperware parties, but better. I like that. Um, oh, I wish <laughs> I could find it. Yeah. And if you have the internet open on your screen. Yeah. 
I can't find it to that one. There's okay. a ton of links in this dazeddigital.com article, A Future World, Eco-Porn, The Movement That Says Sex Can Save the Planet. Yeah. Well, the fact is the sex always did save the planet. <laughs> I mean, it's the only thing that ever has. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's the only thing that can create a new human who can come up with the new science that we're going to need to save our asses, right? Yep. John, I'm looking at your sister's generation to save the world. She's like 15. Yeah. I mean, I hope they will. No, I'm looking at my granddaughter's generation to yeah, save the world. Yeah, four weeks old. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, what an amazing uh, whole bunch of history and tools you just taught us. Thank you so much. Oh, um, John, did Thank you have you. anything you wanted to ask or add? Uh, no, I think that's, uh, I think that's all. Okay. Uh, thank you for teaching us so much. So yeah. And the one thing I will say about eco sex is just get out and do it. Just get out and do it. Get out into nature, take your shields down, take your shirt off, take your bottoms off and feel what it was like to be part of the earth again. Mm-hmm. And Even then if you're just laying on the grass. Yeah, it's more than just laying on in the grass. Go stand, put your feet in the mud. <laughs> Kinky. Right. <laughs> All right. You can contact Sienna Newcastle, Sienna at spiralrhythms.org. Until next time. Thank you for listening to Strange Bedfellows Podcast. To find behind the scenes, photos, bonus clips, and journals from your guests and hosts type www.patreon that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash strange bedfellows and join for only one dollar find us online at strangebedfellowspdx.com and instagram at strangebedfellowspdx you can find me l stanger on stripperwriter.com and instagram as l stanger Write your hate mail or sex and relationship questions to Pillow Talk at StrangeBedfellowsPDX.com and find me, John, on Instagram at Metric.Cafe. Please rate and review our show on your favorite listening app. Thanks for supporting sex education and freedom of expression.